Good morning, I'm Sheila Hamilton. Welcome to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about their interior lives. And every week we try to build more tools in our emotional toolbox. I'm joined every week by Dr. Jenna Lejeune. Hi, Jenna. Hi, it's nice to see you. Nice to have Brian back too. Yeah, yeah welcome to back. Here. Thank you. New house, new smile. Yep. <laughs> Same smile. Lots of boxes. Exactly. Today we're welcoming to the show Anna Devonham. She has, uh, she has on, I think, one of the best outfits in terms of talking about why she wears blue jeans on Monday. Anna, do you want to just tell our listeners just a little bit about that? Um, well, only because I can't wear blue the rest of the week because yeah. I work in prison and you can't wear blue. Well, you can't wear blue at all, but you can't wear blue jeans. So I have my blue jumpsuit on, which is actually every other Monday because every other Monday I'm actually in prison. So this is well, like my... What do you m- normally wear to prison? Uh, anything that's not blue. I mean, I, I actually now when I when I, I haven't done it for a while, but when I go shopping, it's like I think, oh, that's prison clothes. Oh, that's prison clothes. It's kind of sad, really. Actually, so like, oh, I can wear that. Can I wear that? It's a filter. Can I wear this to prison? I yeah. don't actually do that when I shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really that's funny. So you know, black and green, and um, you know, uh, black and green. There you go. I have a lot of blue clothes too, which is. <laughs> And, that, and actually women as well, they point out the women go, have you got anything else to wear? And I'm like, sorry, no, this is it. <laughs> That's awesome. I want you to talk about how it was that you found yourself spending so much time in prisons. Um, well, I was working in London. I was working as a live business coach in London, um, but always, I guess, always looking and always searching for something that was going to help my own state of mind or continue with my own work and in one capacity or another. And I came across um, an understanding of the mind that that really resonated with me. Um, and it, it completely different, not, I mean, similar but different from anything else I'd ever learned. Um, and uh, so I actually went to an institute in London to, to learn more about it. Um, and when I was there, um, there was uh, a woman from an organisation called Beyond uh, uh, Beyond Recovery, and she they'd just got a grant from the the government um, to do a research project, w- taking this understanding into prisons to see how it helped with recidivism and anger and depression and all sorts of violence and those kind of things. and And she needed a volunteer, so I was like, I'll do it, I'll do it. That sounds so cool. Did you take any of the sort of stereotypical bias with you about what prisoners are, about what they've done, about the horrible things that you might have to witness into the prison? Or were you already pretty progressive in your thinking about these being human beings who have made a mistake? I think I think I was fairly progressive in... in uh, I didn't have a lot of thinking about it. I, I, I didn't... Um, I just saw them as, yeah, human beings. I mean, I could have ended up in prison several times um, in my youth, um, but, uh, you know, but I didn't. Um, so, no, I, I actually did, was never frightened or scared, and, and um, it, was, it was an amazing experience. Before I go further on that question of how you might have ended up in prison, because I think your backstory is really quite fascinating, can you just break down the simple elements of this program that you were talking about that you were hoping to bring into the prisons? Yeah. Um, It's based on an understanding of um, kind of how the mind works from the inside out, not the outside in. So it's like fundamental human principles. Um, 
of of mind of universal mind the the energy of all things the intelligence of the system that we're all a part of that we're not broken that we don't need fixing um that we have everything we need inside ourselves to lead a good life mm-hmm. um we just get lost along the way because we get caught up in our in in our thoughts and our feelings and it it, it it's a whole minefield and it, and it keeps us away or it takes us away from our own innate mental health um so we we learn about how how the mind works, how we're always um, living in the feeling of our thinking rather than the feeling of the world. And so then we can see that life is coming through us, not at us. So we're less victimized by the world. We, we have less, you know, we have to manage the outside world less because we're, we're seeing it through the inside out, not the outside in. I want you to give uh, a, a really concrete example of this kind of thinking, if you would. Um, for instance, uh, I, have a, I have a daughter who has cancer, and it is devastating to me. And there are a lot of times where I start feeling like really, really hard. Now, there are other days when I'm actually in a fairly good place of managing it. Yeah. What's the difference in my mindset on those days where I'm okay Versus those days where I'm completely out of my mind. I mean, I just think you just, you know, point to the fact you're a human being. You know, that some days you're going to feel hopeful and some days you're going to feel hopeless. Like, it's just normal. And I think rather than thinking that we need to fix it when we're not feeling good, it's just, it's part of the human experience. Then we spend less time trying to fix our experience rather than just seeing that's that's how life works. Like, we're not... This isn't going, you know, that we're going to arrive at a place where we're just like super happy all the time. It's like that's not real life. Like we know that we go through the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of life. So it, it's in 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 that knowing that you're kind of you know grateful for the highs and graceful in the lows. Mm. I, I'm just hearing her talk and thinking that this is so much what you are attempting to try to accomplish in uh, therapy with acceptance and commitment. It, the whole idea is how can we just stop judging all of these experiences one way or the other, right? right? Yeah, I love that. Uh, grateful in the highs and graceful in the lows. I I think the in my experience in the work that I do, so much of the time people think that if they're experiencing something unpleasant, that means they're broken. So, uh, and I think there's all kinds of um, uh, um, messages that we get that says if you're sad or you're anxious or you're tired in the middle of the day or you don't have a full head of hair or you can't keep an erection or something, then it's wrong. You're broken. There's a pill for it. Yeah. Everyone else is doing oh. fine. Etc. Etc. And we have so much pain about the pain. Yeah. We feel anxious about being anxious. Yeah. yeah. We feel sad about being sad. Yeah. Um, and so much uh, distress about our distress, which just compounds it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that I most appreciate um, about your message, Anna, is you're not talking about those other people whose minds do this. Like if they could just learn to have their minds not do this, then they'll be on this higher plane like you and me and these like mentally well people. Like this is how my mind works too. So yes, Brian, absolutely. I'm working Mm -hmm. with my clients on this, but I'm also working with myself on this as well. Wait, you mean like it isn't just the broken people who think they're broken? (laughs) Shockingly. (laughs) Shockingly. Right? Right. It's not like I learned these messages 
And now I don't struggle with it when I'm feeling really low or I'm feeling hopeless. But there's there are these kind of moments. It's like when you see a fish just sort of popping out of water just for a moment. It's like you can have these moments of just being able to pop outside of your thoughts and getting entangled mm. in those to see, oh, yeah, that's the stuff I'm swimming in all yeah, the time. Yeah. Mm. But exactly. then you pop back into the yeah. thoughts, you know, because that's, that's how it works. It's right. fascinating to me, especially given how calm, reserved, um, beautifully present you are, that you had many, many years when you struggled. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I um, I mean, I think, you know, it, it's no different from any other, you know, I guess, teenager um, who struggles with their own self-worth and their own, you know, body and their own sort of feelings of okayness um, from a young age. Um, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, I went to boarding school then at seven um, and um, my dad was still in America and life turned upside down um, and it, you know, but I didn't, it, it, there was nothing, you know, you get through it because that's what we do. We, 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 we get through it. Um, but there were definitely some coping mechanisms. Um, I developed an eating disorder at 14. Um, I was bulimic for 20 years and then, you know, mm. um, was, um, you know, it's so funny too. It's like I, I, I would never call myself um, an alcoholic or drug addict because the ideas of what how much you can drink um, in England are way different than they are here. So, you know, having two <laughs> bottles of wine of a night in England, it's like that's just a night uh-huh. out. Whereas right. here you it's can have like two day. glasses of wine and you can call yourself an alcoholic. You know, so I, I, the gauge of where that yeah. limit is is right. always, yeah. you Confounding. know, yeah. smoking pot every night for uh-huh. years or, you know, right. taking cocaine. It's like, yeah, it's just a night out. Yeah. So I never, you know, no, I, I, but I, I, drugs and alcohol were definitely present in my, um, in, you know, so there's a lot of my twenties I don't remember. Um, but, but I was always there was, you know, there was always something. There was always something that I was, you know, um, that felt deeper than me. My husband called it like a spiritual abundance. That even, hmm. even when the shit really hit the fan and there was stuff going on, it was like I knew there was something else. I knew that. That this wasn't it because there were moments where I felt peace, you know. And was uh, discovering this this uh, training program for you the thing that made you go aha? The light went on like suddenly it was all clear. What there probably was a bunch of different programs up until that point that yeah. didn't resonate in the same way. Why do you think this one cut through? Um, well, I think with. with so many therapies that I'd done, there was a sense that you're broken, that I was broken. There was something that I needed to fix. So I needed to delve back in my past to try and figure it out, mm. which, you know, and I do all sorts of different things and, you know, you do role playing with people that pissed you off and all, you know, all those kind of things, which, which I just didn't like. Um, and then, you know, when I was looking at practices, um, whether it was meditation and, and, you know, various different things, there was always something to do. Well, if I do it, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. If I get here, then I'm going to then I'm going to have really succeeded. But I'm not okay right now. I'm okay when I do this practice and if I sit for 20 minutes or if I do this, if I do yoga, or if I do. And there was always something else to do. And and I think what I what what felt clear and all those things help. I mean, I still do yoga. Um, I'm rubbish at meditating, so that's not my thing. But um, but there's always there's, there was always things that I needed to accomplish. And what I love so much about just understanding the mind was that there's nothing to do. It, there, there's literally nothing to do. When I understand that that I'm feeling my thinking, there's nothing wrong with my feelings. So I'm not 
I feel insecure, so it doesn't mean I'm an insecure person. That I've got to go, go fix that. It means I'm just running some, you know, insecure thinking. It's reflected in my feelings, and it's going to last for that amount of time. And then there's plenty of times, which I wasn't aware of, that I'm not insecure because I don't focus on that. That's just normal life. I only focus on when I feel fucked up. Excuse my language. That's just so <laughs> true. And isn't so it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so yeah. true. We're never giving ourselves credit for whatever percentage of the day when we're actually it's kind fine. of goping we're and we're fine. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's right, the vividness effect. You, oh, catch yeah. the, you catch the trip. I don't like right? this feeling. Uh-huh. I don't get away from yeah. this feeling. That's right. But your thing about it's there's nothing to do is I, I don't think it's misleading. It's a really simple thing, but it's such a challenging thing to look at thoughts rather than from them. You know, most of the time our mind is kind of a filter that we experience stuff through, right? And what you're talking about is sort of pulling it out and looking at it. Right. It's like asking a goldfish, how's the water? And they're yeah. like, what the hell's water? water. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, Be- it- oh, go ahead to that thought. Well, I think, too, it's like you can look at the power of thought and recognize that the power of thought gives us our experience of life. You know, we wouldn't know we're in this room if we didn't have a thought. But it's neutral. It's not personal. But personal thinking is what catches us up because thought in and of itself is amazing. It's like everything that we see in this room was created when someone had an idea Mm -hmm. and a thought and brought it to life. And it's like it gives us, you know, our amazing experience of life. But we get our personal thinking is more is like. Is that me? How am I doing? Am I not doing well enough? Oh, my God, everyone's better than me. This isn't working. This is rubbish. I'm stupid. I'm this. And all that, that just gets in the way of of kind of, you know, recognizing the neutrality of thought in and of itself until we, like you were saying, you add the critical stuff about your uncomfortable feelings. Oh, I shouldn't yeah. be feeling this. or I shouldn't do that. And so it, it's kind of being aware of thought in general becomes it becomes second nature which then you don't need to look at it or analyze or anything because you just know life is created from that and then you don't you know so I don't meditate but but I don't I just don't care really what I think now so uh, thoughts come and go and I don't need to do anything with them because they're not mine unless I make them mine it's like starting adding Anna's kind of flavor Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a good one. I can start, you know, Anna's feeling, you know, then it's just Anna gets in the way because I'm making it all about me versus it just being neutral, um, which then it's like, no, that's easy. There's nothing to do. So I'm thinking about how often people will go to a psychiatrist or psychologist and say, fix me. This power of this type of, of thinking actually would clear out a lot of offices. Yeah. That, well, uh, well, although I will say one of the things that happens because um, kind of the message that I'm giving uh, clients and Brian, I think this is true as well, is yeah. you're not broken. This isn't a matter of fixing. Um, but then what we what humans can do, including me, is we can take any tool, including therapy, including kind of your perspective, Anna, and we can start using that as a way to try and fix ourselves. Like, oh, okay, if I just stop doing and I yeah. just start noticing, then that will fix me and then I'll be better. And so, like, minds love to do that. And so it's this, and I, I do it all the time. So it's this continual process of what I call, like, dropping the shovel. Like, mm-hmm. you're trying to dig your way out of this hole yeah. and we just keep picking up all these different shovels. Yeah. And it's, so it's this constant process of, oh, there I go shoveling again. Maybe I'll drop the shovel 
for a while. So therapy, no matter what therapy is, is not the answer either. You know, we have tools that we can teach people about some of these practices, but it is this matter of like, this is a lifelong process of learning how to drop the shovel. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you take the approach, Anna, that you're talking about and, and the folks that you present this to say, okay, this is great. I'm going to stop caring about what my thoughts say. And then I bet my thoughts will start saying, stop saying such shitty things. (laughs) That's, I mean, it's not about the technique. It's a change in the agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they, it it starts becoming, um, well, what I I always say, like I I love is that that's on my work and on my side is that well-being is, you know, our natural wisdom, our natural intelligence, which is why talking about thought is one thing or how thought is created, but also at the same time, always pointing back to well-being and our natural wisdom and our intelligence that's common sense. Yes. And how we, you know, because if if we're just, you know, focusing on thought, we can get caught up, like you were saying, um, in, in like, this is a thing, I need to do something. But where we start is always like, where do we come from? Like, we're okay. But for our thinking, we're okay. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, I, there's always like examples we start with, like pulling it out of each individual. And so, you know, it, it, we do this little exercise at the beginning of class. Um, the first class is getting people to close their eyes and think of a time when they felt at peace. And just to, it could have been a moment in time. It could have been a period of their life. It could have been yesterday. It could have been years ago. But just think of a time when you felt at peace. And then, and then what are the qualities of, of that feeling? And then I write things on the board. And it's always the same. It's hopefulness, calm, peace, um, you know, resilience, um, uh, you know, contentment, um, hope. All, 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 I mean, the board, it just goes on and on. And and then then I ask, you know, did you have to try and get there? Was there something that you needed to do to get there? And the answer is like, well, no, it just came naturally. Because when we're feeling at peace, those qualities naturally emerge. And so, but then you'll get, you know, occasionally I get a person that will say, I didn't, I didn't feel peace. I never grew up with it. I didn't, never had that feeling. Like I didn't feel peace. And I've grew up fighting. I was like, oh, what, what's that? Tell me about that. And they're like, well, you know, I just had to fight for everything because I didn't have anyone. And da da da. And I was like, well, did you, could you count on that? You know, was that something that got you through life? And they were like, yeah, I can count on it. And it's like, wow, it sounds like resilience to me. And they're like, yeah, it's resilience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's the same thing. It just looks different. So everybody is going to come with a little different way of what does it look like to you? Because when you know what it feels like for you to feel okay and to have that well-being or resilience, and you know that it's been with you, even though when you, when you couldn't feel it, then it's something that you can count on. And so that's the, that's the place you come from. And then you then, so the ups and downs of life, you can deal with more in whatever you're feeling and kind of ride the waves because you're, where you're coming from is solid because you know you're okay no matter what. And I think that's the beauty of, of working at thought, looking at thought, but also looking at well-being too. And you're, like, your approach there it feels so honoring to me because you're not this expert coming in and saying, you know, no, there actually is peace in your life. You have had times of resilience. You're like asking them to check with their own lived experience, their own wisdom that is innate within them. And then from that place, kind of you move forward. And I just love that model. I think so often in mental health and all of the like 
quote unquote, helping professions, it feels like we're sort of coming in with this message of I have an answer for you and I'm going to teach it to you versus where you're at, which is like you have it within you. Let me help shine the spotlight on it. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk about um, because we, we deal a lot with different mental illnesses and it's been so pathologized in some ways here. So this technique I could see really working for somebody who is dealing with some anxiety and a little depression, how would it work for a person with full-blown schizophrenia? Um, we've had people in our programs who, because we, uh, um, one, one of the prisons I work in is a mental health prison, so there's a lot of medication. Yeah. Um, and so we get, I'll give two examples. Um, one guy who was paranoid schizophrenic, um, he'd been on lithium for 12 years um, because he was, he, he, you know, a lot of voices in his head. Yeah. But, he 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 started to see for himself that just because you have a thought in it thought in your head it doesn't make it yours and you don't have to run with the thought so everything that was coming in, it was in his head he thought he initially thought was real hmm. now if you think it's real then you need to respond to it but if he saw that it was just energy taking form in the moment in whatever form it's going to take, because it would look different at different times. And that's the same with everybody. So whether you've got, you know, five voices in your head and which, you know, then gives you the diagnosis of something. Right. Um, he just stopped running with thoughts in his head. Mm. He just started to ignore the thoughts that would come through, like I, I, I do with my own, you know, feelings of, yeah. you know, my whatever it is that come through. It's like, yeah, not, you know. So he just actually stopped, you know, he stopped reacting to thought. Wow. And then he actually, you know, and this isn't something that I tell him to do or anything, but yeah. then he'll come in and say, oh, I was working with my counsellor and I'm now off all my meds. Okay, so do the voices actually become reduced less? There's less of that, that kind of torturous experience of, of hearing things prompting him to do something because he's learned to sort of put them in the background? Yeah, I mean, it's like the volume gets turned down. It's wow. Like, it's like anything. If you if if you put energy into something, it grows, you know, because thought can't stay alive unless you focus on it because mm-hmm. it's not actually real. You can't hold it in your hands, you know. So it's like the, the more you, you know, the, the more energy you put into thought, the more it's going to be real, like yeah. f- whatever it is. So but the less energy you put into it, the volume just gets turned down and it starts to decrease because there's no life. You know, it, it's. It's like when I was younger and I, you know, would annoy my sister and I'd prod her because I wanted a reaction. As soon as she learned not to react to me, I'd stop doing it. You know, like, you know, <laughs> so this so, is so great. So th- that's fantastic. The, and I think you're the, I love the language that you're using about putting energy into it because the, the energy is buying into it, but also the energy is fighting it. Yeah, totally. But as we were saying uh, just a few minutes ago, this change of the agenda that it's like this really is sort of acceptance that this is just sort of what my mind does. Because if I sort of do the work around like, oh, I see, I'm going to stop taking it so seriously. Now, let me see if the volume goes down. Did it work? Yeah. Did it work? Did the volume go down? Shit. The volume didn't go yeah. down. Mm. Then it, it's like I'm doing the technique, but I'm doing the technique for the wrong reasons. Right. It's still a form of struggling. It's still digging the hole, as Jenna was saying. Yeah. And actually, Sheila, if I could tease apart two different things you said there. Sure. I think you said something like, did the voices decrease? Did that experience of them being this torturous whatever? And I would say those are two different variables we want to look at. Um, And there's actually, you know, from our perspective, if we're talking about this from act language, there's this 
a set of really cool studies about ACT with people with, who are experiencing psychosis who show this. Mm-hmm. There is the decreasing of voices. And you know what helps decrease voices is a whole bunch of avoidance behavior and sometimes medication, although not always. But then there's the decrease of it being torturous. And even if the voices themselves don't decrease in frequency, learning these techniques that Anna or learning sort of this posture that Anna is talking about does decrease that they're torturous or not because they're simply there. And Mm. that's the thing that if I am experiencing really painful thoughts, I don't have psychosis, but I have painful thoughts. It's I don't want them to bother me so much. I don't want I don't want to get wrapped up in them. They can kind of be there as background noise and then I don't even notice them. Yeah, I am uh, trying very hard to take a skeptic's position just because I I can imagine that there's somebody in the audience who maybe is a rape victim and they're going to say, this almost feels to me like you're asking me to deny the experience, deny the pain, deny the trauma that's been inflicted on my system and my person. So speak to that person. well, I'm going to give a story first because there's a lot of rape victims in the women's prison. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not. You're not going to say you'll be surprised because no one's going to be surprised um, about the amount of sexual abuse of, of, of victims um, of, of people in the women's prison. But we were in a class, and um, that that came up because it's like, well, how do I? It, it was around people's different responses to their to their sexual abuse. And, you know, one woman who was talking about how she doesn't get visits anymore on the off chance that she um, that she's going to be strip searched. And it's just too painful, the idea of someone strip searching her. And so she just doesn't see any of her family anymore because she can't stand the idea of someone touching her. And it won't, doesn't always happen, but it's on the off chance that there's a random strip search. Yeah. And then there was another woman who was talking about how she finds it difficult to go to the toilet because there's no doors. And if a man's walking past her, so she has different issues and then there was one woman who talked about how she started crying and she said you know I feel really like a monster I feel so bad because I have rape fantasies and I was raped a lot when I was an adolescent and it was awful and I don't understand why I'm having this like Mm. this this seems like I'm like a bad person right and when we started then talking about look all three of you had different experiences of sexual violence in your life and you all experienced it differently. Now, it's not your fault that you experience it this way or you experience it this way. In the same way that thought and feeling is moving through us, the way we experience something is is just the way we experience It's not ours. It's not our fault. So with this... With this whole understanding, it's more insight-based learning than intellectual learning because you can understand something intellectually, but you've got to see it for yourself and see it on a deeper level. And the woman who was the was the woman who um, has rape fantasies and she has night terrors and she has DID disassociative disorder, um, identity disorder, um, and because she would. Sorry, she'd find it so difficult to be in her body while she would have these experiences. Mm. And she, because she blamed herself and she thought that it was her, her responsibility to change her thoughts and to change her feelings and to change her experience. And she saw, well, that's just how this is being experienced in my body. This mm. is how it's being, it's not my fault. It just, it's just how life is showing up for me. And it's different from how it was showing up for this other person. Now, it doesn't mean that the trauma didn't happen. We get through trauma. The, the resilience of the human spirit is outstanding. And we know we see it every day. Mm-hmm. But it's how we then re, 
continue it, so the trauma over and over again, kind of in our minds, it then leads us to, as I, you know, to a lifetime of mental incarceration because we can't escape the, the thoughts. But, at, but what the example that I was just giving was was the woman, you know, who and all three of them actually are doing amazing. Um, but started just to allow the experience to move through her. Um, rather than take it on where then she's adding, like, oh, I'm a bad person, I shouldn't feel this and I shouldn't experience it like this and this is awful, and then which then just adds the layers. She she actually hasn't had any disassociation for months. She doesn't have night terrors. Her counsellors are actually... She's going to minimum soon because she's no threat to anybody because she used to be a massive problem. And it's all because she had insight into her own her own experience that we, we think that everything that we experience in our bodies is ours. It's our fault. We did it. We made made it happen, and we're responsible for making it go away. Mm. And therefore, we can it can seem like this this practice. Or and if we don't do the practice right, and it doesn't work, then we're even more of a failure, and then we're doubly bad. And so this is like t- taking your hands off it, or, or sort of you know having less on it. Even though it's something that was really traumatic that happened to you, which of course happened, like it happened and it's not just denying it because you're, it's not about trying not to think about it. When you think about it, you're going to feel it. That's yeah. just what happens. Yeah. But knowing that it's not your, it's not your fault and it's not, it's just how that experience is moving through you. And so it was just, that was an example of where people who, ha, you know, they were just experiencing it differently because they were just seeing themselves be, <clears throat> being experienced rather than they were responsible for how they were experiencing. I life. think that's really a beautiful, beautiful example. Because this obviously has an impact on recidivism rates, is there any effort to try to bring it into like community centers before kids get to prison? Before, you know, like if you can catch them upstream and give them these kind of skills, it seems like it would be really helpful. Yeah. Um, well, we're actually part of a collective, the IOS collective, with an organization called One Solution in Chicago that works with inner city Southside Chicago kids who are kind of on the verge of, yeah. of going to prison. And then um, the Spark Initiative, which works in Florida. And this is actually an evidence-based practice, which is now in the curriculum in schools. Wow. So then it's part of the, you know, because a lot of the people I work with go, if I knew this 15, 20 years ago, I wouldn't be here. Like, why didn't someone tell me this before? Like, this is, mm-hmm. this makes sense to me. Nothing else has made sense. Like, because mm-hmm. it is, it's the logic of the psyche. There is logic. Psychological is the logic of the psyche. Like, it's actually, now you understand. It's like, oh, why just, why don't you just tell me that? <laughs> and I understand that my feelings aren't mine, like, rather than having to delve into them and then make all these stories uh-huh. up about my feelings yeah. and my experience. And so it's just, you know, and, and I think that, so we're now um, we, we I just got my I just got carded for McLaren. So we're going to be working in the youth prison. I've got some of our our, our, our students who um, who've come through the program and now out. They're doing our teacher training, so then they can work with youth. Um, and so we're just we're going where you know the momentum is and where we get let in and where we can you know community centres like you say. And at the moment, it's like we're we're small we're a small organisation. You know, we've been doing this here for a couple of years, um, and we're in, you know we've got multiple programmes in in the women's medium security prison and one of the men's prisons here in Portland. Um, and and so we're doing our teacher training and we're kind of growing. And um, and I have worked with some youth. I've worked with a 14-year-old girl who was told by um, doctors that she was biologically depressed and they were going to put her on Lexapro. And she couldn't stay in school because she was... And I was having lunch with her mother and, and she's like, I'm sorry, I've got to go. I can't have lunch. Like, I've got to go and pick up my daughter from school. She's in, and I was like, Do you, can, I, can, I, can I talk to her just for... just? And she's like, yeah, I'd love you to talk to her. 
I mean, she's amazing. Like, she's she's not biologically depressed. She's a 14-year-old girl who's got a lot of thinking about being an adolescent, you know, and she's not on medication, and she's doing great, and she wants to work with the kids in school, so... You know, it's... Uh, I, I think about the spreading of the these kind of principles and what it might ultimately do to the psychopharmaceutical industry because so many parents, from the time their kids were toddlers and began to be told from their teachers, your kid is acting out, they need to be on ADHD, yeah. and then they need to be on mood stabilizers, and by the time they hit 15, they're on three or four different yeah. medications. It's It could be so unbelievably revolutionary for people to realize that their health is actually within intact. themselves. Yeah. Their health is intact. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of psychiatrists today that are hearing this and saying this is hogwash and why are these people talking this way? I don't know. I think, I mean, to to maybe that's true. But I also know a lot of psychiatrists who are caught up in the same story that I that we're caught up in, which is we have been sold this message that it's like our job to fix ourselves. And if you're a mental health professional, including a psychiatrist, to fix somebody else. And Mm -hmm. they've been told, like, this is the best way to do it. So their hearts are absolutely in the right place. The vast majority Mm -hmm. of them that I know It's just we haven't like we've gone down, in my opinion, for the most part, the wrong agenda. Mm -hmm. Like if you could just Mm -hmm. take all of the people who are dedicating their lives to working with people to try and live fuller lives and help them have this agenda versus the, okay, let me work really hard to figure out how to change your brain chemistry agenda. That would just be amazing. So I don't want to vilify psychiatry at all. I just think maybe we're all sort of chasing, you know, we're all playing this rigged game. You know, Mm -hmm. this is like a losing tug of war that we're doing. And maybe there's a different way. Hmm. And there's a lot of um, a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists who were running practices and then then kind of came across this understanding and are now getting the results that they're getting with point, pointing people back to their mental health rather than pointing them to their mental illness is profound. So all the books and everything that they've read on their shelves and everything, mm-hmm. the hundreds of hours and all the rest of it, they're like, it's, it's actually... You know, it just complicates everything. The more the more that's in it, the more complicated it is. It's like we can just strip it back because it, the, the mind is simple. It works. It's simplicity. So that m- most of my colleagues are actually, you know, um, for, I mean, I d- did a lot of therapy, but I'm not a psychiatrist. Um, so um, but to me, it's like learned experience. It's like I don't try and convince anyone of anything. You've got to see it for yourself. Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me if you think that I'm talking nonsense, like because it, what you know, it's not something that I'm trying to persuade people to understand. So it's like when you see it for yourself and you see that um, that your experience of life is coming through thought, it's not coming at you from the world and that, that you know, no one has the power to make you feel anything. It's not an outside job. It's an inside job. You see that for yourself and it will start, it, it, it will transform your, you know, you, something will, tra- it will start to transform something. And some people it happens, you can see it immediately and, and otherwise it's a slow burn, you know, whatever. But it's, it's, you need to see it for yourself. It's not something that I'm ever going to try and convince you of because it's not, it's not, it's not up to me. The one thing that I've noticed in most people, most of my friends and, and teachers and colleagues is that they don't get there unless they've, they've had quite a lot of suffering. It's almost as if that is the door that opens that allows them to say, how can I work with this in a different way? Because if you're just going along and your life is unfolding in the way that television tells us it's going to, there's not a lot of opportunity or even necessity 
to learn different techniques. Yeah. It's like, well, of course, my, my thoughts are who yeah. I am. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're not taught any differently in, in elementary school. It really takes for most people a great deal of suffering to become curious. Yeah. And yeah, suffering can be a really amazing teacher if we don't treat it as an adversary. Yeah. 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 You're here. And that's why I love the people I love working in prison is because they want to know they, they're looking for something that something that's going to allow them to live a different life because what they've done so far hasn't worked. And mm. some of them have been there for a long time. And, well, and if you're if you're in prison and you're going to be there for a long time, a message that says, uh, you know, your suffering doesn't come at you from the external, because if it does, then I'm screwed because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in prison for the next 20 years. So I'm hosed. Like yeah. there's no hope for me to have a fulfilling life here. Yeah. But you're saying there's this filter that it's all run through that changes your experience. Yeah. And it, and it looks different on different days. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that's yes. the thing. It's like it's not, sta- it's not static. Mm-hmm. It's like your experience of life is going to look different on different mm-hmm. days. So one day one guard may, you know, piss you off and another day it just rolls off the back, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so but, but m- m- a lot of the people who come through our programs spend, don't go to the hole because they're not reacting to anger that's coming at them from the outside because they understand that everyone's mind works the same way. So therefore it's like, oh, they're just having a bad day. I know what that feels like. They're just agitated. Why, why would I start reacting to their agitation, to agitated yeah. mind? That doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. So, um, and we'll be, we're going to do a, a program with the, with the lifers in the, in the women's prison um, because we've got a few people who are there for life. And, and one of them said, look, I really be, we have a lifers um, like group and um, this would be really, can you, will you do a retreat um, where it's just a separate thing? And so I've been given permission that we can do it mm-hmm. because then, because their experience of being in prison for a long time is very different when they, they, they're, they're seeing life through the filter of their own mind. Well, and wow. your, your example that, uh, um, you know, one day you feel terrible about being in prison and another day you're like, oh, OK, yeah. today's a Thursday totally. uh, yeah. that uh, that's that sort of experience, because apart from their own experience of a variation in their in their understanding of what's happening to them, even though what's happening isn't changing. Um, that's sort of the lesson, right? Like yeah. I, like people will tell me my situation is hopeless. And then on another day, they'll say, well, I don't feel particularly hopeless. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, has your situation really, has the hope of it changed? Yeah. The hope of it hasn't, your situation hasn't changed at all, yeah. but your experience of it has. Yeah. Sometimes I, the chicken walks through the house. That's like, right. Yeah, that's like, so good. I hope that we can have a link to Anna's <laughs> TED Talk yeah. on our After the Show Notes and that everybody yes, watches this because she has, and I think it comes from somebody one you worked guys. with. Yeah, yeah, one of the guys. Uh, this beautiful metaphor of the mind and this and a house and a chicken walking through it. So I'll leave it at that, but listen to the TED Talk for the what chicken. What a teaser. <laughs> <laughs> Mine recently has been that I have uh, a great image of a bunch of monkeys who live in the apartment up above me. Oh, right. There and you go. they're often very busy. Very, very busy. Monkey mind. <laughs> it's so wonderful, Anna, to get to know you. And congratulations on this amazing effort. Thank yeah. you. I yeah. appreciate it. It was great to be here. Thank Thanks you for, for your work. Yeah, so wonderful. 